So welcome, 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 welcome to No Stupid Questions. Hello, everybody. This week's welcome, welcome, welcome. It's for real. It's for real. With T-Lee like, and Jay. Rah, rah, like a dungeon. Jay, what's up? No, no <laughs> specific order. I love No Stupid <laughs> Questions show. <laughs> Can we curse on this show? Do whatever we feel. Time is a question for today. All right. Stupid. So, questions. No stupid questions. Jack. Welcome to this episode. My first question is Who are you? No stupid questions. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of No Stupid Questions. The show where you have two smart people and one stupid question, or so we thought. And today we thought we had two smart people. We actually have three. <laughs> we have a special guest, uh, our first guest, so that's very exciting. And his name is Joseph Leek, and he is a retired New York police department chief who worked his way up from patrolman to four-star chief including being second in command of staten island in the bronx head of manhattan north district and chief of the housing police so welcome chief leak welcome thank you thank you very much how are you pretty good yourself i'm doing fair Good. It's tough times we're in right now, but we guess we're about to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so the format of our show, we ask a question, and, and today's question is, is um, on a lot of people's minds this evening. The question is, can the relationship between the Black community and police be fixed? And, and before, before, well, before we go into this, everybody knows, because Jack was about to say T-Leak, and I'm not going to, we can't, we can't skip over the obvious. Yes, Chief Leak is my father. <laughs> so he's family. So he's family. But we're gonna put aside those those ties and I'm gonna address him as Chief Leak and we are going to <laughs> get out all of the, the information that we need and have a have a real gritty show today. So having said that, gritty. you were gonna ask me something, Jack. Um, I'm gonna put it to yeah. our, our guest first. So can the relationship between the black community and police be fixed? Chief Leak, what do you think? I think it can be fixed. I think it's not easy, but I think it can be fixed. But there has to be a lot of structural changes made because just talking it, talking about it, I don't think it's going to fix it. Okay, okay. Now, I know you're probably saying, well, what, what kind of structural changes are needed? Is that well, your next question? That, that, that will be one of the questions, but I, I guess I wanted to um, give my opinion on the answer to the question. And um, I like, and T League laughs at me sometimes when I say this, but I like to think of myself as a supreme optimist. <laughs> so I would love to say that the relationship can be fixed. But, I, you know, I'm going to have to take the other side on this question at this point in time, and I'm going to have to let you convince me that I'm wrong. But I, I, I think it, at this point, I'm not sure it can be fixed. T. Lee? Yes, I, I, I believe it can be fixed. Okay. Again, it can't be fixed tomorrow. It will be a, a situation that has to be attacked with training. Certainly training is the first, first thing that has to happen, I believe. A realization on the part of police officers that the blue line, which they seem to, and I'm part of, I used to be part of it, we thought was a good thing. We came together, we protected each other, and that's what we were taught in the academy. It's us against the world, and I think that that attitude permeates and continues throughout your career, and that sort of puts you apart, doesn't allow you to really get immersed, get connected fully to the community because you're continually talking about or thinking that it's us against them. 
So the academy has to change its orientation. There has to be a start, even from the recruitment, even from the investigation. People have to understand that it's something that has to be accepted that, yes, we are a unique profession. We are the blue line, but that blue line can be positive as well as detrimental to us. It can be detrimental in that we fortify the line so much that no other ideas can get through. We don't allow anybody else to, to get through to us because we are always going to think that we're not them, we're us. And just the fact that we don't accept the community <laughs> to come into us, we always got to protect each other. The social bonds get stronger as you become more seasoned police officer. Mm -hmm. And your ideas are not to, they're, they're, they're looking in my best interest. I have to protect my, my guys. So, so let me uh, interrupt you for one moment, Chief Leak, and, and ask you, so if the question is, can it be fixed? And, and you were talking about training and having this realization that there is, you know, potential, some, some drawbacks to the blue line. What, if you take that one, one level deeper, what needs to happen in order for that training to work? And, um, and I'll, I'll refer to two things. One is an, an article that, that JAG actually sent that talked about N, the NYPD being, you know, a real model for other cities. And, and the second being that this is really because most of the police departments, police policies, police training is really done at a local level, at a city level, at a you know, county level, depending upon the type of law enforcement. So given those two, what do you think is going to be, what are some of the steps that need to happen specifically in that vein that are important to making that work? Well, you 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 gave a compound question there. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm testing your compound ability. <laughs> you, you can answer any part of it you want. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Well, you know, num number one, the 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 acceptance of the training. I'm sure there will going there are, there is going to be resistance. There would be resistance, and they've tried to institute community policing, but it was done after that blue line had been hardened. Mm -hmm. I mean, officers are socialized. I won't say taught, but you, you just learn it as you come out of the academy. You know, it, it, the talk is, oh, that stuff they taught you in the academy, that's theoretical. Let me tell you the real job. Let me talk to you about the real work, kid. So you are retrained when you come out. They try to tell you, put, a, put aside all that technical stuff you learned at the academy. And then you come out, and of course, if you were to try to get involved in somebody assaulting another person, then they would turn to you and say, whose side are you on? My side of the community. And if you said the community, you're in for a little problem. Your locker would probably be turned over. Your car might be keyed. There'd be a whole lot of other things that they would try to tell you that you made a wrong decision. So I understand why those officers struck that. I don't understand, but I certainly see the blue line at work in the situation in Minnesota. The three officers, they joined in, and to get one of them to push the, the, the knee officer off the neck, I mean, they would have been ostracized in the, in the precinct. 
and it's just not an atmosphere that gives these officers the freedom to intervene. Mm. And that's the key. Those officers stand around. What has to happen is there has to be accountability by those officers, all officers, on the scene of a, of a, of a situation. You have a, a, an obligation to intervene, even if it's one of your own comrades, one of your own members, your, your fellow police officers. But they don't see it like that. And the system doesn't see it like that. It's a system that is designed to protect that blue line. And until that blue line or the understanding can be gotten through to the officers that what you do to protect the blue line is detrimental to the blue line. You think you're protecting it? You're just making it have a a worse reputation amongst community people. And our job is to serve the community. Our job is not to set up a, a blue line and a community line and always attack each other or the community prevents us from coming through and we prevent the community from coming through. So I believe that the community has a, a more open, open position open to change than the police department, police members. So, so Chief Leak, you actually touched on, I guess, one of the issues I'm having in understanding how we solve this problem. In my opinion, we talk about fixing the police departments or the police organization. And I actually think they're doing just what they're designed to do. I think they have always been a tool of oppression. And I know people like yourself and I have a, you know, an uncle who I probably spent more nights at his house than, than anybody else other than my parents, who's, who is also a policeman. His son is a policeman. So I have policemen in my family as well that I love and cherish. And I know they're doing it for the right reasons. But I, I question whether or not the organization is really set up to be a friend of the black community in particular. Um, and, and, you know, it's deeper than the police, it's criminal justice in general. The laws are set up in a way that is not fair to, to the black community. So I'm wondering how, you know, how do we fix this if the whole structure is, is imbalanced? Uh, and I know that was a lot to say. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just wondering well, your opinion on that. Well, I, I think that the, I, I talked about the police department but there are other parts of the criminal justice system. Correct. Also has to be partners in that effort. I mean, correction officers have to take the same, well, they have the same attitude. They, they, they have a band of brothers also. So all of these, all of these uh, institutions have to sort of break it down and start from the beginning. And that is those new members coming in. The older members, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard. Now you can institute some, some changes in process procedures they will have to follow. But certainly the one thing that has to be gotten through to every part of the system is that any deviation from those rules and the rules are set up but those systems have a way of getting around the rules not fully enforcing district attorneys that work with police officers work with the department i mean they they have a like i won't say a consciously go easy attitude but when you have relationships and when you have institutions that relate to each other, like district attorneys and police officers, you're going to have a situation where there's not going to be a full, a full effort mm -hmm. to provide justice, the fair and impartial thing that is so nebulous to us. And it's, it's nebulous because everybody individually takes their own position and say, well, I'm doing the right thing. 
But their right thing is clouded by their own judgments, clouded by their own relationships, clouded by those situations that they have come to believe that cops, they do the right thing. And yeah, they might have stepped out of line a little bit, but you got bad apples in every barrel. Mm. But they don't seem to understand the impact of those bad apples and what they can do to the reputation of the whole, whole barrel. Yeah, people, people don't like saying the, the rest of that saying is, is that bad apples fall a bunch. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, you can't, you can't just ignore the bad apples and think everything's going to be okay. You have, to, you have to eradicate it or the whole bunch will be spoiled. Yes, and, and you, there has to be certainty that, that if, you, if you deviate and you step out of line, some part of the system will, will administer the justice necessary. But the way things are now, it just goes on. Even juries, juries tend to believe that cops, well, you know, it's a tough job. Yeah, it's a tough job. But it's so tough that you've got to make sure that you have tough, tough regulations, enforcement, and certainty. You can't have a situation where every body, jurors included, justify police officers' misconduct or give them a break. Well, yeah, they get fired and they lost their job. Okay, that's, that's enough penalty. No, that's not enough penalty. There has to be certainty of punishment. And once the police officers understand that if you step out of line and violate procedures, then you have a problem. Certainty, certainty, there must be certainty. And our system doesn't guarantee certainty, which leaves a lot of mistrust on the part of community. And even me, I, I just sometimes, I, I'm wondering what's going to happen in Minnesota when this case goes to trial. Are we going to have lawyers that argue and technically get a, an angle that they can say it really wasn't an attempt to kill anybody. I don't know how they could, but I believe that this, this thing, this video in Minnesota has created such a national and international outrage that even if they are acquitted, and I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. I think that we have started something that is going to be hard to turn around. Mm. There will be a lot of people that will be upset, probably. They don't get a conviction or not the full charges. They get convicted on the full charges. But I think that this this thing cannot be stopped now. <clears throat> so as much as I am pessimistic and saying that needs to be training, I think that a lot of police people have come out and said, this is wrong. And that is, I think, the first step hmm. toward making the community or allowing the community and the police to get closer. So, Chief League, how do you see this differently from the Eric Gardner case in 2014? I don't, I don't see, I don't see much different. I think that in the Eric, Eric Gardner case, I think there's a perfect storm here. The pandemic had everybody home watching TV. The pandemic gave people a chance to get out demonstrate they were looking to get out for some reason not saying that this is an True. excuse but I think it was heartfelt that this was terrible and I think that the the Gardner case was was well it wasn't different a man innocent innocent man died but you did see Gardner you know backing up and you know making efforts like, oh, no, no, no. You know, he was trying to not be handcuffed. 
Gardner died, and a person had his arm around his neck. Out in Minnesota, the man was handcuffed. You could see right. that he was handcuffed almost from the beginning. Right. How could, how could, how can you justify putting a knee on the neck? Right. And it holding cool. it there and putting your hand in your pocket like, you know, what are you waiting for? Death to come? I mean, it, it was so, to me, it was, it hit me harder. It was more egregious, mm. more blatant than the Eric Gardner case. And I'm not downplaying the Eric Gardner case. I think that that officer should have gotten a little more than dismissal from the police department. Now, that's a good point. I, I agree. The, the um, Floyd case, um, it just was egregious. I mean. Well, let's, let's, not, let's not go down that path. Because I think, I think that's, that's why we're here to the perfect storm thing. I mean, I don't, I don't want to um, rehash right, what, what right. we saw in the video, because I think that's, that's why we're here, is that people are outraged. There's a lot of energy around change. And we want to get to this ultimate goal. I think um, Pre President Obama spoke tonight, along with um, the uh, former district attorney, um, about how we would like to get to this place where there is not this sort of tension between the black community and the police so that the police can do their jobs and that the, you know, the good apples can, um, can really do the law enforcement activities and the community feels like they are in, in good hands for lack of a better phrase. So, uh, I guess I go back to Deb, something chiefly <laughs> something you said <laughs> uh, about how you know you've got the what we call the old heads, right? You got the the veterans who are have been have been raised in the culture, like you said, they they have learned this way, right? The blue line. Mm -hmm. Then you have the younger guys that you can are maybe more. Uh, amenable to change. And then you have what you talked about, which is sort of this, this ability to hold people accountable, which comes from leadership, which also tends to be the old heads and the veterans. So let me ask you, I'm just gonna ask you this question point blank. Do you think we need to kind of do a full sweep of the leadership and get certain people in place in order to be able to kind of change that culture? I, I think leadership Leadership will, 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 will get acclimated. Leadership will follow. Leadership will probably take directions better than those old heads because leadership has a lot to lose. Mm. Nobody wants to be defrocked, demoted. So leadership is, is the most pliable of all of the characters, from police officers, sergeants, lieutenants, captains. The higher you go, the more, I think, <laughs> the leaders will be subjected to, will be able to accept change. Mm. So, and, and on that same note, if, if the NYPD is held up as an example, do you think that in the, in the overall sort of strategy that potentially focusing on the NYPD and accordingly, according to the, the recent town hall, de Blasio has already, you know, signed on to do, do certain things according to that 21st century policing report. Do you think if the NYPD makes some changes, shows some progress, et cetera, that it will have a little bit of a, a trickle effect or a domino effect, excuse me? Oh, yes, yes. I, I really do believe that you know, I mean, there is going to be resistance to, you know, the mayor because politically you got to also include the politics of the moment into police attitudes. Police officers, anybody that seems to express a, an affinity or sympathy with their cause 
they will gravitate to them and that's why a lot of people try to get the endorsement of police union, FOP, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's really, you know, police officers are probably the most conservative group in terms of their politi political leaning. So you gotta, you gotta hmm. sort of take that into consideration also. And, you know, depending, you know, I know when a certain mayor was in office, you know, he, he, he catered and he appealed to police and they loved him to death, they loved him to death because he seemed to take their side and seemed to sympathize with their plight, seemed to join that blue line. So politics is that nasty, nasty ingredient that sometimes comes in and deters or sort of slows the ability to influence the officers. The police commissioner of New York City today came out and, 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 and you know, he, he publicly expressed his disdain for the situation in Minnesota. Not, you know, the situation that the officers took against the, the, the person that lost his life, unfortunately. And that's gonna go a long way. Police, mm. police heads don't do that. But what you have to do now, the PBA, another piece of the, of the puzzle, PBA has great influence. You what's know, the, what's gonna, the PBA? They, the Police Benevolent Association, you know, the union. The union will come out and support an officer no matter what he does. They're not going to condemn him because they feel that they have to support their, their constituents. And once they do that, they get that position. And even when you show them how badly things are, how, how egregious the act was, they're still going to try to justify their position. You know, they've, they've got a vested interest now in having the reputation of standing up for their officers. Now they're going to get elected again. Mm. And if they get the, you know, they get branded with the thing that they don't, they, the individual president or officer in the union doesn't support the rank and file, well, they get elected. So there's politics there too. It, it's just a situation that has to be looked at comprehensively. And all of these systems, I talked about institutions, but there are other institutions, the political institution, politics, Republicans versus Democrats versus liberal, and, and even the PBA, the politics, people running against, they have elections in the PBA, and the one that shows more, more um, allegiance to police officers is going to get elected. So, oh, Jack, did you have? Yeah, I guess I had, a, I, I actually, I did have a question. Um, does the, can the police commissioner, I mean, the, the NYC and, and most cities, the commissioner is appointed by the mayor. Right. Um, but a lot of times the commissioner really doesn't have the power to change the police force because the officers may be there before and after the commissioner is commissioner. Do you see that as a, as a problem, or is that something that I just made up? Well, the, 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 the officers, the police commissioner is so high up in the hierarchy, and officers are basically local. They don't right. see the police commissioner, especially in a large department like New York City. Right. The police commissioner, when I was in a local precinct as a police officer, I never saw a police commissioner. I only related to my captain. So it the commissioner, on, huh? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the commissioner didn't affect your day-to-day -day life. He did not affect my day-to-day. -day. I didn't feel, but he, he could have affected my day-to-day -day Okay. if he had, or she had gotten some way to communicate <laughs> to, the, to, the, uh, to the rank and file. And the reason I ask that, I grew up in New Orleans, which has a uh, reputation for having a corrupt um, police department or has in the past. 
Uh, and, you know, black people used to believe that, okay, we we'll elect a mayor and the mayor will choose a police chief and things would get better. But we elected our first black mayor in New Orleans in 1976, maybe it was 77. I think it was 76. And that didn't help too much with the relationship between black folks and the police. Um, so that, that's, where the, that's where the question came from. Um, but, but I guess I, I have a follow on question. And, and the system, if I'm a young officer, 21 years old on the police force, and I have aspirations of rising through the, through the ranks, don't I have to go out and make arrests and um, write tickets? And I mean, it seems like the incentive program is, is not geared towards community relationships. It's, it's geared towards, you know, maybe making yourself an enemy of the community. Well, there's, there's a, couple of, uh, a couple of ways to look at getting promoted or getting advancement in the police department. If you, if you want to get promoted to detective, there's two, two, uh, two ways you can get promoted. You study for sergeant and apprise yourself or make yourself very familiar with procedures and be able to take the test and pass it. Okay. Or you show great activity, great assertiveness. You know, the guys that, that don't, serve summonses that don't make arrests do not get promoted to detectives because they don't show that assertiveness. They don't show the go-get-itness <laughs> that is required for a detective. A tech, detective has to be self-motivated. He has to get a case and go out and solve it. Or she. He can't, he can't sit back and wait for somebody to push him out the door. So the hierarchy is set up where officers who make arrests, who are aggressive, who might go out and I don't say it happens, but might go out and just make an arrest for arrest's sake, whether it's justified or not. Mm -hmm. They see just enough to, to go over a line, you're under arrest. And, and it seems like in, in, in areas where the minorities are, uh, that is is that is taken probably more harder harder than in other areas. Other areas might say, "Oh, you step over the line, I'm gonna take you home to your parent." There's no record. There is no negative impact on that that child. But in an area where people don't relate, they don't care about all they're thinking about. I'm gonna make an arrest, or I'm gonna get some overtime. You know, arrests are, are like picking grapes. I don't wanna I don't wanna put it down on a grape picking level, but just to simplify it, oversimplify it, it's it's like no big deal to me. I, I lock somebody up. I don't care who it is. I wanna make an arrest. I wanna have four felonies on my record at the end of the month. So and I think you guys have, have just touched on this, but uh, Chief Leak, if you could talk about, because Jag, you were talking about having a black mayor, right? And, and hopefully that changing things. And as a black cop, right, where you have a blue line and you also have, to a certain degree, you do have a, a, a black line, right? You typically in the black community, and this is, this varies, but uh, you know, I'm thinking about chiefly you being in Harlem, mm -hmm. there was, there was a, a, a quite a lot of community cohesiveness, right? So, so can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be a black officer and really sort of feel this almost sort of tug of war between your blue line identity and your black line identity? And what, what, what we may, maybe what even what the community can do to support black officers that have that sort of duality that they are struggling with. Yeah, that's that's really that's really tough. You know, you you come out you come out of the academy if you're fortunate enough to get assigned to a neighborhood that looks like you that you can identify with. You are fighting 
you're fighting, trying to belong, you come out of the academy, you want to make an impression on, on those senior police officers that are assigned to your particular mm -hmm. precinct. You probably are not going to be assigned in a neighborhood where you live, so the people that you're going to be closer to, the people that you're going to relate to more, are the police officers there, mm. either white or green or gray. So it is tough. It is absolutely tough. That's why they say, you know, a lot of black officers, black officers are just as bad as white. You have to really fight. You have to really have a sense of, of self. Mm. If you get lost in that blue line, you're going to be lost in the blue line. But you have to be aware and you have to have a great sense of self to really fight against that. You have to be able to not argue, but be able to explain. I mean, I've heard officers say, you can't treat people at 119th Street and Park Avenue same way you treat people at 19th Street and Park Avenue in Manhattan. I would say, why? You know, and I was known as a person that spoke up. A little argumentative, maybe, but I did not accept it. And I had, a, I guess, a better sense of self because I was, I, I had confidence in myself. I knew what was right and wrong. I was not going to get in trouble because of somebody doing something wrong in my presence. So I did my best to, to make sure that my area was clean and without complaint. So, but, you, but I don't see myself, and I know I shouldn't put myself above anybody else, but... <laughs> I, I don't see myself as the average person that comes out of the academy. I was number one in my class coming out of the academy. So I had a certain sense of confidence, and people looked at me as a person that had a little on the ball. And they, I guess, gave me a little more, I they, guess, they didn't a little mess more with you. latitude. Huh? They, they didn't mess with you. They knew they, you. they knew you weren't the one to mess with. Well, I, I tried to put that in 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 their head. Right. <laughs> I understand. So, chiefly, you know, we we never met, but I already knew that about you because <laughs> I, I I know your daughter, and um, so I I expect you to be of high strength and in, integrity and intelligence. Um, but I guess that that leads to my concern. If we had, you know. 90% of the people coming out of the academy that had your character, then I'm sure we could fix this. But I don't think that's the case. And I guess that, that's where my concern is. Um, you know, NWA made a song back in the day, and I won't quote it because I'm trying not to curse. <laughs> but but one, one, thing they, one thing they said in that song was that black police showing out for white cops. And unfortunately, I've experienced that in my life um being being stopped and being treated in ways by black and white cops that is hard to understand um and i guess that's where my pessimism comes on fixing this but but i i have no doubt that if we had you know if we could replicate you and put you in the in in the in the in the time machine uh we could fix this but but absent that do you really think we have a chance at fixing this problem I, I think we do. I really think we do. If you know, as long as I, I really believe that right now, you know, there's such outrage nationally and internationally in local towns and in cities. It is going to have to change. We cannot go back to the way we were. Like the pandemic, they said it's not going to be. The same again is going to be a new normal, a new paradigm. I really do believe that this is the one incident that hopefully will change your pessimistic attitude and make you understand 
hopefully two, three years from now. It's not going to be tomorrow. But whenever we do come out from under this pandemic, I think that there is going to be a new resolve to change the way things are. And I think the police officers now are going to see that it's not going to be easy. But I have every confidence, I believe that things are going to change. I may be wrong, but I have it. I feel it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, but I am going to ask you this. What should I do to make sure we go in the right direction? I'm just what a normal citizen. Do? Yeah, I'm just, and, and, and I guess we're talking to everyone who, who will listen to our show. What does, the, what does the average citizen need to do? I mean, should we be out rallying? Um, what should we be doing? Well, I think that the rallies have sent a message. The protesters that are out, I support it 100%. However, I am, I'm saying, wow, these uh, protesters, the rallies provide cover for those bad guys that are just out to either create problems or create profits. Problems in terms of their political agenda a profit in terms of their economic need. I just hope that, and it seems like today was a better day in terms of the of the the outliers in the protesting rank, those people that seem to be bent on destruction as opposed to construction. I I think that uh, it's it's it, it. I have mixed emotions about it but believing in the constitution and the right to peaceably assemble and protest and let your grievances be known, I'll have to believe that it's a good thing that's being done now to communicate that message. And it's such a, the demographics are so varied that I say, wow, I don't ever, I don't ever remember seeing so many non-blacks joining the ranks of the protest against something like this. It's something that struck a nerve. And I yeah. believe the change is about to come. And in, in that... But, uh, now you asked the question, what can you do? Yes, you sir. Can, you can continue to be a good citizen, <laughs> to continue to understand that there is an attitude out there that might present a problem for you. And I think you should tell your sons, tell your daughters that they should take all precautions. So try to stay out of situations to give anybody an excuse, any police officer an excuse to come hard at you. Now you say, well, what can I, how can you do that? You can't just not go out and live a normal life. Yes, you, 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 you need to live a normal life. I'm not saying that we should deny ourselves that. But I also think that you hopefully will have a better understanding of the police. I don't know what you have done to create closer contact with the police, but everybody should try their best to, to learn more about the police culture. We talk about the blue line. I was in it and I know about it, but many people don't know about it and they don't care to learn about it. And I'm not saying that you should go in and be overwhelmed by the blue line and become one of the blue guys. But I think the understanding that you might get by interacting more, by going in to join the police community council, to make sure that you are there to be able to assist police officers, commanders. They need somebody to talk to, to communicate a problem that needs to be communicated to the community. I just think that people need to get more involved in community organizations that have a close liaison with police. Okay, okay. I like that. 
Yeah, we, we try to have a call to action for our listeners. So now Chief Leak, they do know about the blue line, <laughs> at least the folks that listen to our show. And, and I have a little, and we do typically like to close on that, but I, I do have a, a, an additional, based on the organizations that have been set up to, to move this agenda forward, uh, one of them is the, um, it's called Campaign Zero um, Project, uh, Eight Can't Wait. And it's based on the data showing that policies around use of force yes. can result in decreased police violence by 72%. So they kind of have an eight point agenda, which is banning chokeholds and strangleholds, requiring de-escalation, requiring warning before shooting, exhausting all other means before shooting, duty to intervene, banning shooting at moving vehicles, requiring a use of force continuum, not sure I know what that is, and requiring comprehensive reporting. Now, I just said that to kind of give the sort of overview, but I will tell you one of the things that I feel like is the, almost sort of the elephant in the room that no one seems to talk about is, and it very specifically relates to the all of this assumes because all of these things are happening in situations with black people and and the 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 concept of you mentioned this at the very beginning which is that police a police officer the police occupation the you know is a very unique occupation you are in very high stress situations. I would say, I guess, military is probably the closest to it. Mm -hmm. And you have to make these very quick decisions that do have life or death consequences. And I feel like having these rules in place is one thing, but when you, when you look at the rules and at the, the perceptions that exist that lead to the steps that are taken, that's where we have I feel like this issue that is not being addressed. So we can put all of these, you know, trainings, like you said, and rules in place, but when you're in the situation, how can we, how can we figure that out? I guess I'm not sure how to best ask that, but I feel like there's this issue and I'll, I'll, I'll take, you know, the example of um, the, one of the, the first cases that became very big, right, where the gentleman was shot you know, when he was coming at the police officer, the police officer said he was afraid for his life because this was a larger black man, et cetera. Michael, what's the, I'm sorry, I'm, I, there's Brown. so many. Michael, Michael Brown. Brown, thank you, thank you, yes. Ferguson. And, and at Ferguson, thank you. Uh, so many to, to remember. The, the, the thing that I always said was that I believe that that police officer did have a high degree of fear. And to me, that is where things start to break down. And so my question is, is there anything we can do? To me, the answer to the question about whether or not this uh, relationship can be fixed has to do with how can that dynamic, which causes this sort of escalation and everything gets out of control. Um, and I think it comes from the community too, right? They view now white, especially police officers as the enemy. So that automatically has a response. So now we have these two responses that lead to these, 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 these end consequences. So I guess, did you understand my, my question is how can we address that, which is this underlying perception that black people are more dangerous ultimately? Well, well, first of all, you know, officers are human. Yeah. And, and some officers come in to, their assignment with some level of fear, I'm sure. And, but they are armed with a, a bevy of materials, of weapons, and the gun is the last resort. You have taser, you have uh, uh, the, the spray. You have a lot of things you can do but the one thing that you need most of all is a community that will come to your assistance, a call for somebody to help you when you get in trouble. 
Now, they have to, they, police officers have to understand that when you go out on patrol, you are in a community, one against hundreds of people, if you're going to say us against them. So for your own protection, for your own survival, it means that you should make friends and influence people, not to the point of allowing illegal acts to occur, but to be firm, to be fair, and to have an awareness of the community that can come to your assistance if you prove yourself worthy of their assistance. Now that uh, use of force continuum, you do not start with your gun. You don't start with your gun. That is the last part. On that continuum that starts with, you know, a, a grab with the hand, all the way over to the end of the spectrum is to pull out the gun and fire to kill, not fire to injure. A lot of people say police officers could have shot him in the leg. You're not taught to shoot anybody in the leg because the presumption is that you're shooting to stop somebody from hurting somebody else or stopping somebody from committing a real terrible crime. So you want to shoot to stop them. You don't want to shoot to maybe nick them in the, in the leg and, and they continue to do what they were doing. For example, a knife or a bat coming at you or coming at somebody else. So you shoot to stop them. But that continuum is the one where you use the, you know, the mace, the taser, your, your nightstick, you know, I mean, you, you just don't go for the gun as the first line of defense. That continuum, and the officers have to understand that there's going to be times out there when you may be afraid, but you've got to still remember that the action you take now may affect your life forever. The action you take now, you pull out a gun and shoot somebody because you're afraid. You're afraid of, of a big the guy that was a foot taller than you, that's no defense when you get to a judge. So what can yes. you do? You have to make sure that the officers are trained and they don't resort to that deadly physical force unless physical physical force is justified. And they're afraid, but they have to learn to conquer their fear. They have to learn that when they're in those situations and you have to go over it in your head over and over, not saying that police officers are brave, they won't be afraid, but you have to fight that. It's better to turn and run than to fire and kill somebody unjustifiably. Hmm. But officers, you will, that is absolutely no way am I going to turn and run. Maybe sometimes it may be better to retreat to a better ground, to a higher ground, to retreat to put a car between you and this monster that you're afraid of. Hmm. I mean, there's no, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pride thing, I guess. You know, I'm sure that officers are taught that, hey, you're in command out there, and you better take command. Otherwise, the situation will take command of you. So that's why they have usually officers coming out of the academy. They put them with a senior person to shepherd them through the first two or three weeks or a month of, of actual on-the-street, on-the-job training. Mm. How can you? How can you? How can you make it happen? <laughs> each individual case, each officer is going to approach it with a difference. You don't have robots out there. Everybody is not the same. But you have to train them to let them know that that use of force, or use of force, force spectrum. You have to know what it is and know 
when you should use a mace, when you should use a taser, when you should use a stick, when you should use a gun, when you should take cover. I mean, there's a whole, a lot of things that you have to think about. And, and I think to your point that you made earlier, ideally that is enforced. Because I, I will say my last comment, I know Jack's like, okay, <laughs> is um, that I understand the officer that was the, uh, the murderer of Mr. Floyd actually had some other complaints in the past. He had not previously been held accountable for his actions in the past that would seem to suggest that he was at risk for just such an incident. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is incumbent upon executives, police executives, the system has to identify those people. You know, training, training, investigations, you know, but you still will have people that may come through and, and exhibit tendencies that has to be taken care of. Taken care of in terms of, I don't know, counseling, mm. psychological treatment. I mean, there is a lot of ways that you could try to intervene in an officer that seems to be just going off the deep end. But we need to intervene. I think that's the, that's the major other thing that I guess I would say, aside from all of the sort of long range training and everything, there are still those bad apples that exactly as Jag said, the rest of it, right? They spoil the bunch. We know there are apples <laughs> that are, have clear dents and bruises <laughs> and everything else. And Absolutely. I think we need to, we need to root those out um, and look at the data that exists today. Um, there's a lot of talk about gathering data, et cetera. So is there any last thing, Jag, Chief Leak, that you'd like to say to get out in the, in the, in the air that is uh, swirling right now around all of these issues? Well, I have been, I have been introduced, if I, excuse me if I interrupted you, interrupting you, but, you know, meditation. I mean, I believe that science has advanced a lot. And I know people will say, well, you're crazy, man. But I really do believe that meditation, they're trying to institute it in schools to let children know, or let children experience the benefits of meditation. I am, I am certainly open to a lot of things, and that's probably, when somebody hears this, they're going to say, are you crazy? Because meditation, I, I used to have the feeling that meditation was, was a pie in the sky thinking. <laughs> How are you going to get in somebody's mind and have them close their eyes? You know, that's not going to work. But I am open to many, many other therapies, in, intervention, ideas. I cut you off, Jack. Go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to defer to you, actually. I was wondering what, what you wanted to say. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the meditation, though. Um, and I probably was with you believing that it was a bunch of poppycock before I um, tried it myself. Um, I will say um, I appreciate you, you being on the show. Um, I wish that we have officers that listen to this and listen to your wisdom, because obviously um, you have continued on the trajectory of being number one in your class when you came out of the police academy um, and being a, was it a four-star chief? Um, and, you know, I, I really appreciate the, the wisdom that you, you, you gave to our listeners today. Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I guess it's one of my favorite pastimes, talking about what could have been, <laughs> what, what I used to be. <laughs> Uh, and and of course, as as your daughter, <laughs> and as a wellness coach, I am happy to hear that mindfulness is something that you think actually could be brought into the discussion as it relates to really giving police officers additional tools for the 
the mental part of it, which I think is is more significant um, in terms of this use of force, et cetera. I mean, the once we lay things out, it I think it would be helpful to to address, you know, how the decisions are made, the process, that process, that thought process. Yeah, the job is very stressful. There's no doubt about it. It's stressful. It is very stressful and not making any excuses, but I do believe that stress reduction techniques, you know, are going to have to be employed somewhere along the line because the job is going to always be a job of stress. And you got to do the best you can to relieve that stress and not get let it get the best of you. So, Chief League, we're going to have to have you back to have a follow-up discussion. Um, and I'm going to have to say that you have changed my answer to this question. And anytime we have a can question, I, I, I should always go with, with a little positivity. So, again, can the relationship between the Black community and police be fixed? I'm going to say yes, it can, but we have a lot of work to do. I think we're all in agreement about that. Yes, I agree. And I'm so glad that Chief Leak was able to bring you over. And if we had more at Chief Leaks, this might be easier, but we work with what we got. There we go. No <laughs> stupid questions. No stupid questions. Thank you. You can ask any question that you want or don't ask no stupid ass questions. <laughs>